So go ahead and grab out your Bible and something to take some notes uh, today as we study God's Word. I want to go ahead and just say it too. Happy Palm Sunday, everybody. All right. Look at somebody next to you and tell them Happy Palm Sunday. All right. Look at your second choice and tell them Happy Palm Sunday. That's a church cliche. I'm going to do something we don't do. Look at a third person. All right. So now this is the person you don't care about at all and tell them Happy Palm Sunday. <laughs> That's good. That's healthy for the life of the church. That's what I, I say, everybody. I want to, as we start the sermon, I want to thank all of you as well. Those of you who were with us last week uh, for part one of our series. I want to say thank you to all of you who called and texted me throughout the week, messaged me uh, pictures and videos of extremely large spiders. I just really, I want to say thank you. It really touched me. I needed that throughout my week. All of you who did that, all of you who had a good, my therapist and I thank you very much. All right. It was very, it was helpful. It really did a lot for me. And so I'm never going to share anything with you people ever again. So that's just the way it goes. We're in a series called Road to the Cross. Uh, We're looking at different moments in the last two weeks of Jesus's life, his ministry here on the earth. And so last week we looked at the second week out from the cross, the things that maybe we don't think about too often, or maybe we don't associate with being this close to Calvary. And so it's a chance for us to see the moments of Jesus as he knows where he's going, as he knows what awaits him, as he knows all that's about to happen, and still the way that he lives and the way that he ministers and the way that he loves people. And so we just kind of darted in and out, four stories last week, four more this week, of these ideas or these events and stories that happen in the life of Jesus. That we see this reaction he has to people, we see the way that he continued steadfast in his ministry. And we're going to learn from those, all right? So none of the points are really all connected, except they're part of the narrative as he moves his way towards the cross. In fact, more than half of the Gospels are in these last two weeks of his life. You realize that more than half of those gospel books that we read are the last two weeks of Jesus' life. And of that, about 80% of those are this final week, the Passion Week of Jesus' life. It's like the writers threw on the brakes and let us take this like in-depth look at these last moments of his ministry. And so I want to focus on stories that maybe get told less often than others during this last week. Or if they are told, they're taught as part of like the the greater whole. They're just kind of like stepping stones on the way to other stories. And so listen to me. I might miss your favorite story of Easter, all right? I understand that. I might not give as much time to those stories, but I think that we have studied them. And so it's time we're going to look at a few stories that maybe we haven't looked at as in-depth. Or maybe, like I've told you before, we kind of read them, and myself included, and we kind of just step off of them and go on to the next story because we kind of know where it's headed, all right? But I think we're going to kind of recreate this last week as we learn from Jesus's last seven days on this earth. So let's pick it up where we left off. Our friend, the donkey. Come on, somebody. You remember last week at the end, we kind of we we ended it one week from Easter. We ended it here on Palm Sunday. And so we're going to pick up the story again, because last week we talked about that Jesus could have prophesied any kingly animal he wanted. He was God from the beginning, the word made flesh. And so he could have prophesied, here comes your king on any kingly animal, but he chose the ugly donkey to be his animal of choice to ride into Jerusalem. This idea of humility and your king comes to you lowly riding on a donkey. He chose that. 
And so I gently drew a line between the idea that maybe Jesus chose the ugly donkey for the same reasons that God chooses you and chooses me. All right, everybody. We, and so that made us all feel really good about ourselves last week. We, we felt great. Some of you thanked me for that. Uh, and so we're past that, though. We're, we're past. You're not mad at me anymore for comparing you to the ugly donkey. We're, we're past that. All right, we're still friends. But this idea, I want to go back to the donkey. And we'll pick it up in Matthew because Jesus has... They, the disciples have put their cloaks on the donkey. Jesus is now up on top and he's riding and turning his way down the Mount of Olives going to Jerusalem. He's approaching the city. And so we're going to pick up the story in Matthew. It says a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road. So in front of him as they're walking while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. This is Palm Sunday. This is this idea of shouting Hosanna. And the crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed behind all began to shout. And so you read the narrative. What happened is the disciples started this shouting, this, this praising. And then the crowds started to get into it. And then the crowds ahead of them started to get into it. And then one gospel says when they got to the city, all the city started to stir and be red. So this is like, this is a thing now. Like stuff is, they're inciting the crowd. Everybody started to shout. And it says, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. They're getting the crowds riled up. This is something like it's all these thousands and hundreds of thousands of people that have come to the city for Passover. And they're starting to, to get this excitement and this shouting. And here comes the triumphant entry. And he's entering Jerusalem. He's coming to fulfill the prophecy of being the Lamb of God. And they're cheering and waving the palm branches. And it's interesting for me to note here that some of the same people... Who are shouting Hosanna right now are going to be shouting crucify him in about five days. Some of these same people. And there's a, this is not my first point this morning. All right, everybody. This is not this is just extra for you. But th- there is a whole sermon to be preached about these fickle people. Come on, somebody like it is just it just so it just strikes me every time you see it, how quickly they shift. How quickly the whole man the whole city is in an uproar shouting out Hosanna. Here it comes. Blessed is the one. And then in five days, they're shouting, we want Barabbas, crucify Jesus. It's fickle people. They just turn on and think. A few years ago, when my sons were a little bit younger, uh, we were putting them to bed. And, and Hava had not been born yet. And so our house was still relatively peaceful. Come on, somebody. And so, it was, uh, and so we were putting them in bed. And my son and Liam was probably three or four. And he was not listening. He's the younger of the two boys. And so he was not listening to anything that I say. By the way, I picked up a new thing. Anytime I tell a story about my kids, they get $5. Come on, somebody. So that's just... That's just a pastor's kid thing. I just thought I'd, I'd share that too. So they are very happy that I tell stories about them. They keep a great account. So don't tell them that I told them and I will save 10 bucks today. All right. So Elijah and Liam, but Liam wasn't listening. And so uh, I kind of just, I, I, we're, we're trying to get him in bed, trying to get it. So I was like, I just asked, Liam, do you need a punishment? And you have to know Liam. Liam's a whole nother ballgame to himself. And he just said, no, thank you. And so, and so we're, the lights are real dark. And so he's like, laying, and out of the little lump that is Elijah on his bed, kind of to my right side here, I hear a little voice whisper. I think he does need a punishment. <laughs> Anybody ever had like a kid who is an extra parent? Anybody here? One of your kids is just there. They just like to be the extra parent. Oh God, nobody told us that would happen. And so I like shush him. Right. And I'm just going, so we keep going, but Liam still will not listen. And so finally, he does something else. I can't even remember. It was just something else. It was strike two. 
And so I said, okay, Liam, you're not going to get to play with the Thomas the Train set tomorrow. They had this little ride-along thing that went in a circle, went out with the flood. Everybody was great. But it, it was great. And so, hey, I'm like, Liam, you're not going to get to play. And all bedlam broke loose. It was like I, like, killed his puppy or something. He just starts wailing and crying, like, emotions and things. And my kids have emotions that will serve them well as adults. But as children, drives me crazy. Come on, somebody. It just... But he just cried and think, and I realized at that moment, like he's crying so loud. My wife, Alyssa, turns the hallway light on to see what I am doing to the children, right? Like what is happening? And then I realized not just at Liam, I look, the little lump sits up and Elijah is bawling and crying. And he's got his hands on his ears and he's going, you can just forgive him. You can just forgive him. <laughs> and I look over and my wife, Alyssa, is in the doorway and she's giving me that look of like, yeah, you can just forgive. It's a fickle bunch in my household, everybody. <laughs> Hey, nobody's with me. Ain't nobody. <laughs> but the crowd is for Jesus at this point. At this point, they're on his side. At this point, they're like, Hosanna, blessed is the one that comes. They're like, Hosanna, blessed is the one I love. And they're shouting and waving the palm branches. They're having this great time. And I want to go back to our friend, the donkey. Because think of it from his perspective. Like, think about what he's tied to a post, untied, stolen, brought to Jesus. Cloaks are thrown on him. Jesus up on top. He's headed towards back to the city. All these things in his mind. And now people are throwing their cloaks in front of him. And the crowds are cheering. And they're, they're making, he's seeing everything more or less from Jesus' point of view. He's seeing the crowds cheering. He's seeing the cloaks in front of him. The palm branches. Them all shouting and praising. First point. Jot it down if you're taking notes today. First thing we learn is we got to stay grounded. we got to stay grounded. Never lose sight of who you are in the story. Never lose sight of who you are in the narrative of our life. And it's a theme I see running throughout the Bible and honestly throughout the church. And it's part of the culture, but honestly, it's, it's been going on for all time in human hearts. But we lose sight of who we might be in the narrative. And there are different Bible studies. We study all throughout the Bible. There are different seasons in life where you learn different things from different characters. In a particular story, there are times where you learn how God interacts in the way and the nature of God by looking at the way that he has interacted with his people from time began. There are things that you learn from different kids. Sometimes you are Saul hiding from giants. And sometimes you need to learn from David who faces Goliath. And sometimes, right, you are Moses splitting the Red Sea and God has called you to do something great. And sometimes you are the Israelites complaining in the desert. Come on, somebody. It's just amazing. Sometimes those things we learn from different things. But in this story... When Jesus is coming to be the Passover lamb, when Jesus has set his sights on Jerusalem and he is riding up to this, in this story, you can be the crowds cheering, you can be the fickle people, you can be the donkey, but you cannot be Jesus, everybody, all right? And so oftentimes we try to put ourselves, listen, from his perspective, people are cheering and from his perspective, people are shouting. But when things happen in your life, when doors start to open, when God starts to use you to reach people, when God starts to use and move you and maneuver and bring you opportunities and give you a blessing and giftings and things that you can do, never lose sight of who you are and who you carry. Never let the crowds cheering start to puff you up. Listen, it is for the one that you carry. Never let the crowds do it. Never let it build your ego. Never let it puff you up where you become unusable for the kingdom of God. Remember who you are in the story. Remember who you are, who deserves all of the praise. Remember who it is that they cheer for. Remember who it is that deserves all of our glory and the honor and the praise. 
Remember who you are. We need to stay grounded. That's good preaching. Thank you very much. Story number two, everybody. Jesus is now inside Jerusalem. So we're going through the narrative. And he goes straight to the temple. Now, if you ever read the stories about Jesus going to the temple, you realize something's about to happen, right? Like something good is about to occur in the story. We talked about this moment uh, a couple of months ago, but I want to give you a little bit different of an angle. I couldn't work it into the sermon a couple of months ago, so it's coming to you today on Palm Sunday, everybody. But I love this. And to give you kind of what's about to happen, I want to go back to the Old Testament. And I want to go to a book that if you do the yearly Bible reading with us, uh, you dread this book every February. It just it keeps showing up. And we read through the Bible every year. And that is the book of Leviticus. And in Leviticus chapter 14, and it talks about all kinds of diseases, skin diseases, head disease. All, it, it, it's a pretty graphic book, everybody. You should read it sometime. And so Leviticus talks about the regulations and the laws God has given his people. The laws of cleanliness. And in chapter 14, the second half of this uh, chapter, it talks about the law for the cleaning and the cleansing of houses. And what it talks about is if anybody finds a blight or a mold inside of their house. Come on, Louisiana people. Let's say amen to that. If you find any kind of mold in your house, here's the regulations for what you should do. It actually talks about it as like the leprosy of the house. That if you find this thing, you don't just forget about it for a couple of years like we like to do, right? There was a, a regulation for them uh, to do. You don't just hang a picture over it and just go, come on, somebody. I'm reading your mail. Come on. So this is what happened. They, the leprosy of the house. So verse 36. And for the sake of time, we won't read it all. But here's what they would do. They would call the priest. And the priest is to order the house to be empty. Everybody goes out. And he goes in to examine the mold. So nothing could be unclean. And after this, the female inspector goes in and inspects the house. Come on, somebody. <laughs> That's funnier to me than it is to you guys, all right? And inspects the house. So he goes in to inspect. Is the mold still there. And what would happen is if he found it, after he had closed it and goes in, he would wait about a week and then he'd go back in. If it was still there, they would take a chisel and they'd break out any of the stones that had that blight or mold on it. And they would take it, the timber, the, the, the stones, the plaster, whatever had it on there, they would take, chisel it all out, break it all out, and they'd take it outside of the camp and they'd throw it in a heap somewhere outside of the camp. And they would restore it with new stones and with new plaster and new timber. And so what they would do, this is the law for cleaning and cleansing houses. So now back to Jesus' ministry. Not quite to this Palm Sunday, but a couple of years earlier to a Passover where Jesus goes to the temple. John chapter 2, watch this. We go early in his ministry, Gospel of John. It says, when it was time for the Passover. So same time period, a couple of years early. It's the beginning of his ministry. Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And in the temple courts, he found people selling cattle and sheep and doves and others sitting at the tables, exchanging money. He finds this in the temple courts. So I just kind of set the scene for you. About a million people are descending on Jerusalem for the Passover. And Jesus also goes to the temple. But what would happen is all of these people who would come, the requirement was to bring a perfect animal to sacrifice in your place at the temple during the past. This was the requirement you had to bring with you. That is kind of, I don't know if you've ever like brought an animal cross country. Just in the car, it's difficult. But forget about on foot dragging this animal all the way to But they had to do it. And so what these opportunistic people would do is they set up tables and got animals and set up money changing and all the stuff. And so they would tell them when they came in, even if they brought an animal, oftentimes they would tell them, your animal's no good. Why don't you buy one from us? And but the problem is they, they they're very and again, this is a market that maybe was needed for whatever reason. But they charged them 10 to 12 times the amount, sometimes for the birds, up to 100 times the amount of what the animal actually cost. And they did this extorting the people who were doing what God required them to do. 
trying to be, you wonder why water bottles are seven bucks in Tiger Stadium, everybody. You think like that's just, this is why. This is the reason why. <laughs> you think LSU came up with it. No, all the way back here, all right? So Jesus finds them. Watch this. He made a whip out of cords. We love this verse. It's just the best. Whip out of cords. Some of you have this on your fridge. And he drove them all from the temple courts. Both sheep and cattle, he scattered the coins of the money changers, overturned their tables into those who sold the doves. And he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. He says, my father's house. I mean, he's inspecting this house and he's found a blight, everybody. All right. He's found he's found a mold inside. And so he takes them and he throws them out. He cleanses the temple. And so now let's fast forward. We're back to our Passover, the Passion Week. It's the end of Jesus' ministry, and he is coming back to the temple. He's coming back to the temple because one more time, we're going to go back to Leviticus. Because what would happen after they chiseled out the stones and they thrown them out of the camp? What happens after they cleansed the house? What if the priest came back a year, two years, three years? What if he came back and still found the blight? What would happen? Leviticus 43. And it says, if the disease breaks out again in the house... After it's been cleansed, after he took the stones and he scraped the house and he replastered, if it breaks out, then he'll go back and he'll look. And if it's spread, it's a persistent leprous disease. It is unclean and he'll break down the house. It's stones and it's timber and the plaster and carry all of it. Every stone off of every stone, every piece of wood off of every, he will break down the entire house and carry it out and the house destroyed. Back to our story in the Passion Week. Jesus has just arrived back to Jerusalem. The donkey, the triumphant entry. Two years later on Passover, the priest is coming back to the house that he cleansed just a couple of years before. And I'll make my second point today. Jot it down if you're taking notes. And that is stay watchful. Keep clean what has already been cleaned. This is kind of a hard truth I think we don't like in our Christian walk. Some of your moms are like, that's my motto for my house, right? It just never works. But keep clean what has already been cleaned. So many of us, God has done a work in our lives. And we have celebrated our freedom and we've forgotten to set a watch on the walls of our lives. And something that should not have ever been even a problem for us has been allowed to take a stronghold because we forgot to set a watch. We forgot to stay clean and Jesus is coming back around. Watch how Luke records it. And again, this is tucked in between the donkey ride and what he's about to do in the temple. So watch. As he approaches Jerusalem and he saw the city, he begins to weep. And he said, if you'd only known on this day what would bring you peace. If you'd only known Jerusalem, if you'd only known. But now it's hidden from your eyes. And the day is going to come, watch this, where an enemy will build an embankment against you and encircle and hem you in on every side. And watch the prophecy about the city and the temple, and they'll dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another. Jesus prophesying, this thing is over, this temple is coming down. He says, because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. You didn't know your priest was here cleaning. You didn't know Jerusalem. You didn't know temple. You didn't see it. The priest is here. Now, you can imagine being a money changer in the temple, right? Now, let's just put ourselves, just just imagine with me for a bit. You can throw it out if you don't like it. But imagine being a money changer who was there the first time that Jesus cleansed the temple, right? And Jesus came in with a whip and chased you and your animals. Imagine two years later, right? You have set up your tables. You got your animals. Everything is just so how you like it, right? You've got your shop and everything's about to happen. You open for business. It's a great day making money, extorting people. Come on, it's a great time. 
And then you see Jesus, the table flipper, come running into the temple courts with his whip again. Come on, somebody like that is that's just funny to me. I don't care what you say. That's just that's like your wife. Get the animals. I'll get the money back to Bethlehem. Like we just got a this amazing moment for you. Again, I don't care what you say. I think it's funny. You see Jesus come running back in and watch what he does again at the end. Now, this is after he's prophesied in the next verse. When Jesus entered the temple courts, he began to drive out again those who were selling. It's written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. You have made it a den of robbers. Except this time he's prophesied, it's done. This time not a stone's going to be left on another. This time it's coming down. Not one stone, not one timber. This time it's coming down. And they try to accuse him of that during the courts, that he would say the temple would be destroyed. And you read in the history book, just it's not even a century before it is. Every stone torn off of. And it's interesting to note in Leviticus, right, they don't just leave the man without a house. That's not how the chapter ends. They actually say that then you take new stones and new timber and new plaster and you make a new house. And so that's the Old Testament echo. What does that mean for us here in the New Testament? Watch it in 1 Peter. I love this verse. It says, as you come to him, you want to know who you are in this story. You're this next three words, a living stone. As you come to him, a living stone. The temple is gone. We tore that thing down, right? It's over. That that. Old echo and old thing is over, but you come a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. The old son, they didn't know the time of their visitation. They didn't understand the priest was their cleansing, but you come. This is the promise we have as followers of Jesus as a new stone. Yourselves like living stones being built up. Watch this as a spiritual house. The temple is gone. It's, uh, that, that, that done away with, but watch what he has built as spiritual to be a holy priesthood. To offer spiritual sacrifices. We don't have some back room where we slaughter animals, everybody. All right, I don't care what you've heard. There's nothing like that. No spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God now through Jesus Christ. You want to know who you are in the story? Living stones that God is building into the house that he is building. Stay watchful. Keep clean what has been clean. Story number three. Because after this moment, the story kind of ramps up in speed. Right, the, the, the author start. You, you can feel this culmination. He is heading towards the cross now. And so every, every step he takes, every move. So he stays in the temple preaching and teaching and the people come to him. And he continues. Then he goes back to Bethany and then he comes back to Jerusalem and he has the disciples uh, prepare the upper room. And he goes there with his disciples and Judas goes to get the Pharisees and the mob. And he washes their feet and he teaches them. And so then the Pharisees and the mob are on their way, but they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus and his disciples to pray and they come and they seize him there. And I'm not making light of this, but this is just the progression of the story. And they take him back to the Pharisees in the middle of the night. And they have this kangaroo court and they, they to condemn him. And so they send him to Pilate and Pilate sends him to Herod. And Herod's like, not my problem, sends him back to Pilate. And then Pilate brings him out after he's flogged him. And the, the crowd chooses Barabbas instead of Jesus. And he's condemned to be crucified. He's walked every step of the way and they put the lateral piece of the cross. So he's gone through torture. He's gone through all of these incredibly excruciating pain. And then the lateral piece, so that the vertical piece is there already at the side of the crucifixion. But now they place the lateral piece on his back to carry all the way to the cross. And this is where we pick up the story because there's a verse here that I don't want us to miss. And here's my third point this morning. As we look at what Jesus endured, we keep trusting. Keep trusting and keep trusting that he knows what you are going through. That he understands the pain and the trials and the things that you walk through. Because sometimes I think we keep Jesus as arm's distance and we say, well, he couldn't know my pain. 
We couldn't know what I walked through. And, and I love Jesus, but he just doesn't. He couldn't understand. And we keep trusting. Part of what we need to learn is to trust that God knows and understands what you're going through. We pick it up in Luke. It says, as the soldiers led him away. Watch this. They seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from the country. And so this is, this is a guy coming in from North Africa, somewhere near there. And he put the cross on him. And they made him carry it behind Jesus. They pick a man from the crowd and they compel him to carry the cross of Jesus. And there are so many schools of thought trying to figure out, okay, who this guy was and what he meant to the early church after this moment and maybe who his sons were and maybe where they talked about it. And none of it is really compelling. You can study it on your own, but it, honestly, it doesn't matter. Because the message here and the story here is not who this man is, but why they seize him. Why they pick this guy out from the crowd to do it. And I used to wrestle with this. This used to not sit well with me. That Jesus would need help carrying the cross to Calvary. I didn't, I didn't like this verse at all. Because if you've ever struggled with the thought that it was, it was unfair that Jesus was both man and God. If you've ever had that. I met a guy one time. This has been probably 10 years ago. I met a guy who just could not reconcile the two together. He just couldn't bring it. He said, of course, Jesus could live a blameless life. Of course, Jesus could, you know, he was half man and half God. Of course, he could endure the pain of the cross. He could just tap into his deity side and just kind of like step out of it and not feel the pain, not feel that you just tap into that and go through whatever it was that was difficult. And then just kind of, of course, he could do it. And how it was so unfair that God then would expect us as mere men and women to follow him. Because it may seem like a trivial, this has never been in your mind, but it may seem like a trivial question to you, but my salvation hinges on Jesus being 100% man and 100% God. Not some weird mix that can just step out of it when it feels convenient. Not some mix of the two that can somehow just, when things are hard or tough, or things he has to endure, just say, well, I'm just going to just bow out of this one. I'm just going to escape, I'm just going to tap into it. Not that, not the, no, the first Adam... Brought sin and destruction into this life. The second one redeems all of mankind. You understand this. And so my salvation hinges. And so I love this part of the story. Because if Jesus is in any way tapping out. If he's in any way cheating as this guy would put it. By tapping into this, this God's side. If, he in any way, if he's in any way trying to get out of feeling the agony and the pain and the torture. Then this verse doesn't have to exist. If, if he's, and of course he could just carry, he could run with the cross all the way up there. In any way he could. Then this verse, but instead one verse that proves to us what Jesus says earlier on in his trial. He says to Pilate, he says, I could ask for 12 legions of angels. I could. And honestly, that makes me love it even more that he could and he chose it. But he says, he says these words, he says, but it must be so. Not only does he endure it, but he could if he wanted to. He could if he wanted to. He could ask for 12 legions of angels, but it must be so. There was no time out for Jesus. There was no tapping in and saying, well, this just doesn't affect. There was none of that 100% God, 100% man. He could if he wanted to, but he chose. He endured the agony and the pain and the things you read about in this Passion Week. That God knows what we are going through. And the Bible says all he had was the joy set before him. And with that in hand, he endured the cross. That he endured for us. That we stay grounded, that we stay watchful, that we keep trusting that God knows. And finally, final point today, that we stay committed. Don't lose faith because of the silence of God. And I looked three times in the Gospels. I just found three stories I pulled out. 
where God is silent, where heaven doesn't answer. The first one was maybe a story you don't hear all that much about, but it's when John the Baptist is sitting in prison. And you remember John the Baptist, right? He's the way, he's the one that comes to, to say, make the path straight. He's the forebear. He's the one that cries out in the wilderness. He is the, he's this incredible prophet that comes before Jesus and prepares the way, prepares people's hearts, gets them ready for the arrival of the Savior. And now John the Baptist is in prison. And so he's sitting there and Jesus is out doing his ministry, the ministry that John prophesied. And Jesus is healing the blind and Jesus is healing the sick and he's preaching the good news of the gospel and people are coming to him in droves. And John hears about this sitting in prison and John sends him two messengers and they come to Jesus and they bring the message of John. And you know what it is? It comes to you and they say, are you the one that we looked for or should we look for another? And on its face, it sounds so shocking and it sounds so like John had this. But if you read it, if you read Jesus' response, you realize John is not doubting, right? John is pouting. Come on, somebody. John is like, he's mad that Jesus is doing all of these things for all of these people. And John is sitting in prison. He's offended at what Jesus is doing. And I love Jesus' response to John. He's not like, John, you know, I I feel you, brother. I understand where you're coming from. And he doesn't respond like that. He doesn't respond, John, you know, you have some good points. We're going to take those into consideration. Just wait a couple of seconds, John. I'll be with you in a moment. He doesn't respond. No, he sends back to John. And you know what he says? He says, John, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking, the deaf are being healed, the poor are having the gospel preached to them, and blessed is the one who's not offended because of me. He sends this back to John. Not one word about setting John free. And I could just imagine in my mind's eye, John is sitting in prison and you can read it. The next time they take John out of his cell, it's to cut his head off. The next. And and again, this is just my holy imagination. But I can imagine John sitting in his prison cell and them coming to get him and him thinking, finally, like it's about time. Like this is just about it. This is I I knew Jesus would come. I knew this would be my moment. I knew he'd shake the walls because I was the the voice crying out in the wind. I am the prophet. They need me for that minute. I need me to get back out there and do my thing. I can just imagine John. And the next time they come to get him, because some dancer asked Herod for John's head, they come and they chop it. One of the most confusing deaths of any of the New Testament saints. One of the most confusing deaths in all of this. Because John, I can just imagine, he knows. He's done these things. He knows. And then it ends like that. Not in some grand thing. There wasn't, wasn't Samson, all this, this grand finale and all these people would get saved because John's death. All that. No, no, they, just some trivial thing that happens. One of the most confusing ends. And then the second story where heaven is silent is when Lazarus is sick. The friend of Jesus, and you remember Mary and Martha, his sisters, and they call for Jesus. They write him, they send messengers to go and get him because Lazarus is sick. Jesus is friend. And they know Jesus will be here quickly. And they they estimate at this moment, Jesus is like six to eight miles from where Lazarus is. So what would that that be on foot? If you were like a couple of hours, right? Some of you are like a couple of days. I'll give you three hours, three or four hours to get there. So the messengers go and they come back quickly. And so they know that Jesus is close. Mary knows that he's close. Martha knows that he's close. Lazarus, the one who is sick, knows that Jesus is close. Can you imagine the faith they would have? I know Jesus is coming. I know he's a friend. All that we have done for him, all that we mean to him. Lazarus is his friend. And it doesn't say that about too many people in the day. We know that he's coming. I know that he's on his way. And you remember the story. Jesus waits where he is. Six or eight miles away. He waits there until Lazarus dies. 
He waits until he dies and he doesn't send comforting words. He's not sending, you know, I, I speak from here and he's healed. I, I'll be there shortly and all everything's going to. He doesn't do any of that. He just waits until he dies. And it's easy for us to look at it from this side and say, well, yeah, but he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. But nobody knows that at the time except for Jesus. Nobody knows that in the story. It doesn't do anything for them in the moment. Lazarus has no idea. He's getting sicker and sicker. And then he finally passes away. And there, I can just imagine. And I don't know if you've ever prayed for something in faith or done something like I can just imagine them saying, I know he's coming. Like, check the courtyard again. I know Jesus is coming. Like, go look out in the road. I, I, I know. I know he's going to be here. He's not going to wait too long. I know he'll be here. And Lazarus is getting work. But they know, they know, they know he has to be coming in silence. And it's easy to say things, well, the silence is followed by the miracle. That's just how it works. You just endure until the miracle. And you just do. And sometimes that is true. Sometimes the story ends like Lazarus, but sometimes you are John the Baptist. And sometimes this happens with the silence of God. And what we learn here now the third time that heaven is silent on Thursday of this week in Gethsemane. And the Last Supper is over and Jesus has gone to pray. And he takes Peter, James and John a little bit further into the garden with him. And he falls down on his face and he goes to pray. Listen to me. In the Gospels, you read about this. Nothing phases Jesus. Like nothing phases him. There was one time they talk about Jesus that they come out of the city amongst the tombs. And these two demon-possessed men, like animals, come screaming, ranting and raving out of these tombs. And it said that they would attack travelers and they would cut themselves. And it was this, this, you can imagine how incredibly this was for the time. Stuff. And Jesus comes out there and these two come roaring out. And I can just imagine the disciples like hitting Mach 3, running, screaming back towards the city, right? Like they're gone. I'd be gone. Come on, somebody. And Jesus stands there. And then with one word, he casts, go. He casts the demons out of these guys. Nothing phased Jesus. And one time he stands up on the front of the boat in a storm that makes lifetime sailors and fishermen think this boat is turning. We're dead. Like this is over. He stands at the front of this boat and he commands the winds and the waves and they obey him. Nothing phases Jesus. But here in the garden, on the very edge of his mission being accomplished, he falls on his face and he cries out in anguish. And we've studied this verse. In anguish, he cries out, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but yours be done. And one of the gospel writers, he writes it this way. It says he does this three times, saying the same words, saying the same words over and over again. You know why you pray the same prayer the exact same way three times? Because the answer you wanted didn't come. The answer you were looking for didn't come. And he begins to cry out. And you know from the way that he words his prayer, he knows what the will of God is. He knows what the Father has asked him to do. He knows what he's supposed He already knows, but he's crying out if there's any other way. And they're bearing the weight of the sins of the world on his shoulders. In this Passion Week, they're bearing the weight of my sin and your sin. And the silence of God, he does not shrink back. He doesn't take his hand off just because it's hard. And just because heaven is silent, he doesn't shrink back from what he knows God has called him to do, what the Father has asked of the Son. He doesn't shrink back. He takes the next step toward fulfilling the will of God on this earth. And you know, there's a verse in Hebrews that talks about some of the heroes of the faith. And it has the most interesting phrase there. And it, it talks about them and it says those, all of these, these heroes of the faith, and it lists them, but it says all of these having died in faith. 
not seeing and not receiving what was promised, but having greeted it from afar. And sometimes, like I said, it is Lazarus resurrected in this life. And sometimes it's John the Baptist resurrected in the life to come. But sometimes, sometimes we are called to stay committed regardless of the silence of heaven. We know what God's will is. We know what he has called us to do. And so we go and we pray and we don't stop from calling out. Jesus three times cries out. We don't stop, but then we don't take our hand off and we don't shirk from what God has called us to do just because of a season of silence. That these heroes died in faith to the very last breath in faith, not even getting what we have received, not even seeing the promised one come and give his life at Calvary, not even having that. But they greeted from afar in their faith. They stayed firm. How much more us, church? How much more us that we would stay committed? And as Jesus hangs on the cross, the sins of the world on him to finish what he came to do, he cries out, mirroring the prayer from Psalms, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, all that has happened, you read this, all that has happened from the prayer in Gethsemane to that prayer on the cross. Never once does he turn back. Never once does he take his hand back. Never once does he shirk from what God has called him to do. But he sets his face. He sets his face towards the cross. And Hebrews talks about, it says, fixing our eyes now on Jesus looking at the way, examining how he did it. Let us run this race set out for us. That we would stay committed. Not once does he halt, not once does he shrink back because heaven is silent, but knowing his mission on this earth, he cries out in John. It says he cries out, it is finished. And he gave up his spirit. And we are three days from Easter. Let's pray together. Father, I ask you today, Lord, give us the strength to stay committed. Lord, as we examine the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, during the Passover season, during this week leading to the cross, as we examine all that you endured, Jesus, we pray, we ask, give us a new appreciation, a new love for our Savior. Give us the strength to stay committed even in the silence. Give us the faith to trust that you do and understand what we are going through and you do still love us. Holy Spirit, give us the strength this week to keep clean what has stayed clean. We pray as we follow you in this life, as we see the sacrifice, we understand what you did for us. And as we go into this Easter season, Lord, we lift up our praise ever louder. We lift up our love for you. And one more time, we say thank you for doing what we could not do, for sacrificing your own son. As you keep praying, church, with me this morning, I want to give an invitation before we leave today. And that is, maybe there are some of you who joined us this morning. And maybe you're just now, maybe for the first time, hearing about Jesus, the real Jesus. The one who sacrificed his life for you one who loves you more than you can possibly imagine, the one who went to a cross to forgive us of our sins. And look, I don't know, maybe you're as far from God as you can possibly be, or maybe you're just really, really good at faking the church stuff. I don't know where you are in your life, but listen to me. Salvation is available to you. 
And I don't care what anybody else has ever told you. Listen to me. God loves you. And God wants you. And so whether you're in the room here with us today or you're watching online and you just can't figure out why you clicked the video that you clicked or you're hearing whatever it is, I don't care where you are and I don't care where you've come from. Listen to me. God loves you. God loves you. God wants you. And I want to give you an invitation today to follow Jesus. Listen to me clearly. This is not about joining a church. Everybody is welcome here. That's not what this is. This is an invitation to follow him. It's an invitation to put your trust in him. And right now that's available to you. No matter where you are or what you've done, you have this opportunity right now. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to give you the words to a prayer of surrender. Nothing magical in the words. You have to say them yourselves. Believe them with your heart. This is your moment. And we pray it with you. We encourage you every way that we can. But this is your moment to say, I want to follow Jesus. And it's a prayer of surrender. Listen to me clearly. This is giving your life to him. This is saying, I repent of my sins. I'm turning around. I'm going to follow him. I want him to make me new. I want him to wash me clean. I see the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And I believe that he didn't stay dead, that God raised him from the dead. That anyone could call on the name of Jesus and be saved. So right now you have that moment. In the room watching online, right now you have the moment. Don't let it pass you by. Come on, church, let's pray this prayer with them. Nobody prays alone. But say these words. Say, Jesus, forgive me of all of my sin, of all my mistakes. I surrender to you. I believe you died on the cross. I believe you rose again. And I make you Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And all the church said amen and amen. Come on, church. Can we give God praise for what is happening?